Hello, my pretties, and welcome to a little bit about a lot of shit. It is my first full episode, and because it is Halloween month, and I am who I am, I have decided to do the first one on the Salem Witch Trials. So, now, let me tell you, when I tell you that I ended up down a fucking rabbit hole over this one is an understatement. To say it has taken some time to gather and organize all this research is why this episode is out so late. I'm also deciding to record it straight through without doing a whole bunch of editing. So if I fuck up, I mean, that's pretty much what life's about. So we're just gonna jump into this clusterfuck and talk about the atrocities of the Salem witch trials. Now, the first major witch trials were held in Switzerland in 1427, and in 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued an authorization to Henrik Kramer and Jacob Sprenger, I want to say, uh, who together wrote Malleus Maleficarum, which translates as the Hammer of Witches, which has since been quoted as its single-minded insistence that witches were the source of evil in the world. Uh, by historian Elizabeth Whitney, and also described by historian John Demos as part Bible, part encyclopedia, part operational guide. Uh, now, this book was extremely popular, only second in sales to the Bible, so it was basically a guide on how to exercise inquisition and proceed to correction, imprisonment, and punishment of witches. So, the book mentions that witches took part in what they called Sabbath rituals, and included performing sacrifices, copulated with demons or even the devil himself, and of course the eating of children and infants because, you know, why not? Uh, the witches would be baptized by the devil and then were to perform the infamous obscene kiss, where she were to kiss the devil's buttocks. <laughs> even included cautionary tales of witches who kept men's penises as pets. To me that just sounds messy. In the Middle Ages, everyone knew witches were real. It was widely believed that they could fly and even believe some cultures believe that they turned into screech owls of all things. In the 16th and 17th centuries, roughly 40 to 50,000 people were executed in Europe for witchcraft, 80% of those being women. So women were thought to be morally weaker and more sexually voracious and more susceptible to being seduced by the devil. So, of course, more likely to enlist the devil's services than a man. Women branded as witches tended to be older, poorer, and more autonomous and outspoken. I'm fucked. Quote, morally weak and sexually charged. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. All of the accused confessed under torture, and that became important because they were tortured until they confessed. Because the confession in the end justified all of the torture so it had to come full circle because then it meant they weren't just monsters right so as the accusation started in salem it was mostly the west side accusing the east side villagers um, and in order to protect themselves they started to fill the church which meant the church made more money most of the accusers were young girls and they accused the older women who were widowed or spinsters and then most of the trial witnesses were married so some believe the trials were used to maintain the status quo, but other things come into play. So with hysteria leading to more butts in the church seats, it's said to believe that the ministers could have been in this for corporate gain. In other words, there was a market for the ministers to sell religious services. 
Uh, between the years of 1672 and 1688, three different ministers were hired and fired. They failed to earn the widespread support of the parishioners, so they started to believe their salvation was at risk. Um, this is where Samuel Paris enters. He was a failed businessman and Harvard dropout, and Paris moved to Salem Village in 1689 to serve as the fourth minister. He was not well-liked, which wasn't helpful in a town that was already so divided. So in January 1692, Betty Paris, uh, Samuel's daughter, and Abigail Williams, his niece, both fell ill. Reverend John Hale noted the children were, quote, bitten and pinched by invisible agents, their arms, necks, and backs turned this way and that way, and then turned back again, so it was impossible for them to do of themselves, and beyond the power of any epileptic, epileptic fits or natural diseases to affect, end quote. Now, before long, their symptoms started to spread throughout the community. Two more girls, Anne Putnam Jr., age 12, and Betty Hubbard, age 17, also started to suffer from these fits. The girls' fits became public spectacle. So, Dr. William Greggs, being the only physician in Salem Village, was called to examine the girls. Clearly being the great doctor he was, the girls were diagnosed with being, quote, under an evil hand. I mean, it's not surprising, because doctors back then knew so much, like, there's ghosts in your blood, do cocaine about it or just fucking lobotomize you. Kidding, of course, first lobotomy wasn't until 1935, fun fact. Anyway, a small collection of children were suffering from convulsions and fits, which wasn't unusual in 17th century America. We'll get to that. So two enslaved persons, Tituba and John Indian, were ordered to bake a witch cake. It consi consisted of the victim's urine mixed with rye meal and baked in the ashes of a fire. Like, doesn't that just sound delightful? Uh, then they feed it to the house, like the dog that lives at the house, and he is supposed to lead them to the witch. Now, according to, tradi to tradition, the cake would reveal the source. The girls at this point named Tituba herself. Tituba was an outsider, so it's not surprising that she was the first accused. It's always an outsider. Now, Hubbard and Putnam named two more women along with the accused Tituba. Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. All three women were charged in February 1692 with, quote, witchcraft by them committed and thereby much injury done, end quote. Back then, to be accused, you merely had to be female, older, and have your own opinions. Basically, I would be proper fucked. Investigators were John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin, both were experienced and had hundreds of investigations under their belts. Keep in mind, this is the 17th century, so you were guilty while they built up evidence to use against you. There was no innocent until proven guilty bullshit. So the three accused women would have to convince these two men of their innocence. Sarah Good vehemently denied the charges of witchcraft. And since she had a notable lack of church att attendance and muttered to herself when asked to recite a part of the commandments, she again muttered something inaudible, which was taken as just another sign of her guilt. Now, Sarah Osborne instead tried to claim her own afflictions. She tested, testified she either saw or dreamed a thing like an Indian, pinched her in the neck and pulled her by the back of her head to the door of the house. No one believed her story. 
coupled with the fact that when the four afflicted girls saw her or heard her or good speak, they would yell and writhe about in place. This just added another sign of their guilt. Tatuba, on the other hand, offered a full confession. Some historians believe that Samuel Paris beat a full confession out of her before she was examined. Surprise, surprise, here we are with the torture. And the minister having a witch in his home probably didn't look too good. But seriously, he just sounds like a fucking asshole. Um, whether the case, whatever the case, Tatuba spent four days testifying and thrilling the audience with tales of her bewitchment. Uh, magistrates leading her to the right answers to help entertain the masses that had gathered to hear her. She confessed that Good and Osborne told her to attack Putnam with a knife. She spoke of a, quote, tall man who wore all black and forced her to pinch Betty and Abigail, tempted her with pretty things, and asked her to serve him for six years. She also told the magistrates that the man carried a book with nine names of those that agreed to follow and serve him. Unknowingly or not, this is what paved the way for the witch hunt to follow. So, in March... Oh, no, March 7th, 1692, Good, Osborne, and Tituba were sent to jail in Boston to await trial. Two months later, Osborne died in custody, and she was only the first. Martha Corey was the next to be accused by Putnam. Even though Corey attended church regularly, she was opinionated and outspoken, which was basically a nail in her coffin. She didn't believe the girls were possessed at all, so they turned their sights on her. Shrieking in court whenever Corey spoke, Putnam also suffered several fits in March and stated Corey is the source. Corey maintained her innocence the entire time, but was sent to jail in Boston in March in 1692. Corey was eventually hanged. Her husband, Giles Corey, actually testified against her, but since he was also accused of witchcraft, he ended up arrested, then crushed to death by rocks. We'll also get to that. To make matters even fucking worse, their four or five-year-old daughter, Dorcas, was arrested. Four or five. This is a child. She survived the seven months in prison that they held her for because she was, quote, too young to hang. But not too young for seven months in prison. The arrest of a child just shows that how much this hysteria of the witch hunts had spread by this time. Um, next to be accused was Rebecca Nurse which surprised the village because she was an avid churchgoer and had raised eight children. Because witches can't have children. Uh, her and her husband, Francis, actually had a 300-acre farm, which their neighbors, mainly the Putnams, resented them for. Coincidence that she was named? After having a quarrel with her neighbors, Anne Putnam and her mother, uh, she was named responsible for, the Putnams, for Anne Putnam Jr.'s torture. So... The whole town was at easy, uneasy at this point. Of course, anyone who sat next to them in church could have been afflicted because that's how you pass it, right? In April, 21 more people were arrested. Among these were Bridget Bishop, an unpopular older woman who had previously been accused of witchcraft, and Abigail, Abigail Hobbs, a 14-year-old who had been known for saying she had, quote, sold herself body and soul to the old boy. And of course, was seen wandering in the woods at night, which is love the woods. The arrest of five men was the first time the gender lines were crossed in Salem, and among the men was a former minister of Salem, George Burroughs. Ann Putnam Jr. was the one to accuse him and called him, quote, an apparition of a minister who tore me to pieces, end quote. It was said that Burroughs had unpaid debts owed to him, or sorry, 
unpaid debts owed to the Putnam family. But when he produced witnesses that said he was of good character and could vouch for his financial honesty, it cleared him of all that and embarrassed John Putnam, who was Anne Sr.'s husband. Um, they were the ones to accuse Burroughs of the unpaid debts. So shocking that he was named by Anne Jr. after that. During his examination, multiple former parishioners testified to his unnatural and diabolical strength. Uh, I find that so odd. Why would that make him a witch? Anyway, it was also said by one of the girls that ghosts of his dead wives appeared and said Burroughs had murdered them. After the confession of Deliverance Hobbs on April 23rd, she accused Burroughs of preaching to a, quote, a meeting of witches and pressed them to bewitch all in the village, which ultimately sealed Burroughs' fate. The core group of girls took full, full advantage of this hysteria, and by the end of April, 29 individuals had been accused of witchcraft. Just two months later, the total was up to 68. By May 1st, the accusations had spread to the town of Amesbury, about 40 miles north of Salem Village. A spread like that is large, keeping in mind, like, there, there was no, there's no internet, no nothing. Like, this is just natural word of mouth. So finally, the Boston government stepped in because there was no sign of the fear and hysteria stopping. So in May, Governor Sir William Phipps arrived to help bring order and create a legal structure to help deal with the witch-related cases. I think it's Phipps, it's PH, it's gotta be. So Phipps created the court of Oyer and Terminer, which means to hear and determine. This court was led by Lieutenant Governor William Stoughton. The first trial started on June 2nd, for Bridget Bishop. The evidence against her included the first examination of her by the magistrates. In addition to the girls, quote, having fits throughout her testimony, 10 other villagers came forward with stories about being harassed by Bishop. Everything from black pigs and flying monkeys to voodoo dolls. On June 10th, 1692, Bishop became the first Salem witch to be hanged. The court did not reconvene until the end of the month. During this hiatus, one of the magistrates, Nathaniel Saltonstall, actually resigned in protest. A petition even circulated to save Rebecca Nurse and question the afflicted girl's authenticity. Governor Phipps asked the clergy for a theological assessment of the court's proceedings and deemed a lot of the evidence was on spectral evidence. At this point, Cotton Mather, who was one of the ministers, warned against the use of spectral evidence. The court of Oyer and Terminer chose instead the path of, quote, speedy and vigorous prosecution of the accused. So, Mercy Lewis, who was 19, and Betty Hubbard, 17, were starting to gain reputations as skilled witchfinders, which kicked off a wave in Andover accusations. More than 40 formal witchcraft accusations were being thrown around between July and September. Like, that's a lot. Meanwhile, in Salem Village, in the first week of August, court was back in session with the trials of six individuals. Once again, in very ceremonial type proceedings, uh, and ended with two women and four men. Uh, one of which was former minister George Burroughs. He got sentenced to death by hanging. 15 more convictions were to come in September. Giles Corey refused to confess or even answer, so he was forced to endure, quote, strong and hard punishment, which meant heavy stones were placed upon his chest to force him to comply. Corey was tortured for three days before being crushed to death. He never did confess. 
during the fall of 1692, the tragedy that was Salem witch trials finally started to come to an end. After Burroughs' execution, nothing was the same. It was apparent to him that spouting, it was apparent that him spouting scripture as he was about to be hanged left a bad taste in some of the judges' mouths. Unlike his son Cotton, Increase Mather was worried that innocent blood had been spilt. Increase Mather also wrote a book that stated it is better that 10 suspected witches escape than one innocent person be condemned. By the end of October, Governor Phipps had dissolved the commission of Oyer and Terminer and released most prisoners. By May 1693, everyone was released or pardoned. Now, life didn't just go back to normal for these people. Back then, the jail made the prisoners pay for food and lodging, and they weren't released until those debts were settled. So, like, some came home to homes that had been looted, livestock stolen, places just generally ransacked. One woman died in custody a month after being acquitted because she couldn't pay her debt and leave. It's sad how fast the hysteria spread and how many lives were being ruined, if not completely taken. These women were cooks, healers, midwives. Now, some facts that I have found interesting while digging through all of this is, for most places, the majority of the accused witches are female. The exception to that is Iceland, where almost 90% of charges were brought against men, uh, which is literally the only place. And then in France, um, charges against men and women were equal. So class and gender have always played a part in how magic was categorized. Divination, astrology, and alchemy were practiced by those with a background in education. So they were considered examples of high magic. They were to be used by members of high society and included people like Isaac Newton, who alchemy, and Galileo, astrology. Not surprising, these men were deemed useful for society, so rarely faced persecution. Now, low magic, on the other hand, required no formal education and was often passed down through generations. It typically took the form of spells and simple charms. All black magic was considered low magic and clearly echoing social bias. Therefore, the poor and uneducated were far more likely to be considered witches. Now, as far as the girls in Salem and their fits, this has been explained in a study in Science Magazine in 1976 and cited the fungus, I want to say ergot, uh, which can be found in rye, wheat, and other cereals which toxicologists say can cause symptoms such as delusions, vomiting, and muscle spasms. So basically, these girls were stoned, not bewitched. And in the 15-month 15 15 span surrounding the trials, 144 people were caught up in all of this. Confessions of 54 individuals that led to the execution of 20. 14 women and 5 men were hanged, and one man was crushed by rocks. Witch hunts have always been about power and control. It has always been about using faith, patriotism, or morality as a cover for the need for, uh, for the need for more power. So, to this day, the Salem witch trials remain one of the most shocking and studied times in American history. It has always been a fascination of mine because it's it just adds to what mob mentality is capable of, and what people will do when coerced properly so i hope you enjoyed this uh i could have easily done a whole series on it like it just the more you dig the crazier it gets so 
But thank you so much for joining me and listening to my first episode. And I thank you for a little bit about a lot of shit. <laughs>